Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very, very happy to introduce all of you to one of the farmers that is joining us. He, his name is Nate Layton, and he owns Hirschberger Heritage Farms. And they have a like delivery to your home box for farmed, fr- like fresh farm goods, um, burger box. So, Nate, thank you, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> yes, Hirschberger Heritage Farms, the name of my farm. I started about 10 years ago, uh, I was tired of sitting behind my corporate job desk and started looking for pasture-raised certified organic meat that I raise now and I couldn't find it. and eventually got down such a deep rabbit hole where I just decided to start my own farm, jump in with both feet, cashed out for my corporate job and just did it. And I mean, you're you're kind of like condensing everything down really into a quick, quick synopsis of how you got started. But I know that you uh, grew up like on a farm, like your grand, I think at your grandfather's farm. Yes, that's true. My grandfather owned an 800 acre dairy farm. I wasn't involved really with the farming, but I was just around it, you know, growing up. And I guess you could say that it's in my blood. So, you know, after uh, after leaving home at 18, I joined the Air Force. And uh, shortly after I joined the Air Force, actually, while I was in basic training, 9-11 happened. So uh, it went from like peacetime to immediate wartime. And then, uh, you know, my life kind of changed from there. I uh, went, went to war several times and uh, served this country all over. I was stationed all over the world. And after getting out of the military after eight years, I got a corporate job in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, working for a government contractor, kind of just, you know, building on the knowledge that I had gained in the military. I was able to spin that into a lucrative job there. And uh, after, like I said, after doing that for so long, I just got tired of sitting behind a desk and having my boss tell me what to do every day. And I was ready to be my own boss. So I cashed out and started Hirschberger. You know, one of the things that uh, I really love about your farm, and I've actually been out there before I know the area. I'm really very close to where you're at. Is that you just you know you have a wide range of products, everything from pasture raised eggs to some amazing pasture raised chickens, which are simply uh, amazing and delicious. But you have, uh, in addition to pastured pork as well, you have this incredible selection of 100% grass fed beef, and your butcher's cuts everywhere down from you know a brisket to a flat iron down to sirloins and skirts. You know, you really keep an amazing selection of products on there. Do yep. you have uh, a background in butchering or do you have an in-house butcher that you use or you know, how do you really manage to keep such an inventory of all those great products? Yeah, well, uh, I guess that comes from my corporate experience, learning to manage people, managing a large team of people. Uh, I knew when I started my own business, I would have to find the experts in said fields, whether it be butchery or whatever. And I found the best butcher that I could find, which is Nello's Specialty Meats up in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And he is the absolute expert at butchering animals. So I give I gave him the instruction to please, you know, cut every single cut out of the animal. I don't want uh, I don't want anything passed over. I don't want the I want the least amount of ground beef out of every cow as possible. So if there's any cut that you normally don't cut because people don't like it, I don't care about that. I want you to cut it and package it. Uh, so that's that's kind of where the, the large amount of cuts comes from is because I asked for that. And we, we try to keep the largest amount of cuts in stock you know, for that reason. Well, and you do things too. I mean, that you don't often see, I mean, 
you do a oxtail and you can get a marrow bone, which is absolutely phenomenal. You know, for those who want to make asabuco or, or do a, a beef variation of that, um, right. you know, but you also do, you know, a cross rib roast, which is a little bit different than most people see. So there's some very unique things that you do in that. Do you also, um, I, I know a lot of farms in the area are starting to do that, have the ability for people to buy a young animal and, you know, pay for it early on and then, you know, so so much, you know, six months down the road, purchase that entire animal and whole for their freezer. Yeah, that's, that's not a program that we offer. We do offer eights and quarters and holes throughout the year, typically in the summer when right. things are going. But no, we don't typically let people put a deposit down on a specific animal, but. Okay. And do you get a lot of requests for the holes in the eights and the quarters? Yes, a lot of requests. And we, we get so many, so many that I have to turn people down because I, I can't sell them all by the hole in the quarter because I need them in my store and I need them for my home delivery service, Burger Box. You know, we're, we're now shipping all the way to Maine, uh, west to Michigan, south to North Carolina, uh, Tennessee even. So we're covering that entire area uh, with uh, shipping via UPS. Well, and in addition to that is, you know, I – I talked about your beef products because that's what everybody's going to always kind of lean towards immediately. But the fact that you guys make your own sausage there as well is a, is a wonderful thing. And you both have, you have sliced bacon, but you also have chunk bacon. So, you know, two really great, unique products for, you know, the, the cooks who really like to experiment. I love finding, you know, local sausage. That's something I just strive to find and what I could find chunk bacon that I could cook with and do things like that. And, you know, fortunately here in, in your property and other farms in Bucks County, you know, you can often find products like that, but you really, uh, from somebody who came out of, you know, not necessarily the background of farming and, and, you know, retail food really hit it on the nose with the selection of products you have. Yeah, I mean, I, I set out on a mission. I knew the type of food and the type of cuts that I was looking for when I couldn't find it in the store myself. And I didn't want other people to have to go through that same struggle. I wanted everybody to be able to find the good stuff if they were looking for it. And, you know, th that's also a, a, a Indonello. Again, he makes all of our sausage. So we say we want pepper and onion. We want country style. We want uh, hot Italian, sweet Italian, Unger's German pork sausage. We have so many different varieties. And that's that's a lot to do with his expertise in the butcher industry. Now, um, I have to ask because I'm. it is the cold season. And, and obviously, like when the cold is, comes on, everybody, it's soup season. Do you also, <laughs> because I've made bone broth before. It's actually like one of the nutrient-rich um, broths that you can create. Do you, since you are butchering on site and, or have butchers that do, th do that for you, are you saving those bones and also, you know, offering those in-store package deals in any way, shape, or yep. form? Yeah, we do. We do beef bones. We often sell them by the 50-pound box to restaurants or you know, sometimes we sell them to the, the local people that just stop in. But most people, I feel like the average customer is not really looking for beef bones. Um, but but chicken bones, yes. And we also make our own chicken broth. So uh, we do make chicken broth and usually have it in stock throughout the year. 
And um, just out of curiosity, because there are some animals that are a little harder to come by, you know, and are very tedious to debone, like rabbit. Um, <laughs> would you ever would you ever consider doing that, or you know, is that something if somebody you know asked you to to purchase rabbit meat to to create something or a restaurant, um, would you be willing yeah, to? I don't I don't know anything about rabbit. You know, I've had I've had people ask that before and ask for duck or goose, but there it's that's a whole nother thing. Uh, even though a goose and duck is poultry, their feathers are attached to them with, you know, the, I don't know what they're like, super glue. They're impossible to get off. So you have to have very special machinery and, and techniques to remove the feathers of those uh, waterfowl. And that's just, it's like I said, it's a whole nother operation and we're just not set up for that. Gotcha. And I mean, I feel like Gene is very familiar with you guys. So I'm, I'm going to maybe quiet down a little bit and let him retake over, uh, the, the interview, just because, yeah, I mean, I I was excited to have you on because um, obviously you have the the CSA and you have the ability to have, you know, de- a, your meats delivered to your door. Um, right. So I'm excited for that. But, um, Gene, you know, what other, you know, aspects of, of the CSA and um, farming world do you, do you have questions about? Well, I mean, I just love that in Bucks County, we're really starting to, and then, you know, the, this area, we're starting to really showcase our amazing, you know, meat production. And, you know, one of the things that I was just drawn for right off the bat was that you have, you know, your pasture eggs. And mm-hmm. I don't know about anybody else. Uh, Amaris, I'm assuming you've had fresh eggs before. Yes. Fresh eggs are a whole unique dining experience for breakfast. I can tell you, we get some here. Um, we have a good friend of ours that raised the chickens, and we, you know, are lucky enough to get uh, some eggs from her on a regular basis. And even our dog notices the difference. Yeah. Of a fresh <laughs> egg, you know, and and I mean. So in defense, we do cook all our dogs' meals. We do the fresh food and things like that, and we make all the dogs' meals here. But even the dog notices the difference on a fresh egg. So you know, your the fact that you had the pasture, you know, the the eggs there, the you know, cage free kind of thing. What a mm-hmm. wonderful opportunity to uh, you know go up and and get some really great products. And your I saw your price list. Uh, earlier in the day, what an amazing, you know, reasonable price that, you know, people who don't, if you've never had fresh eggs, go and try it. And you might look and say, well, I can get them in the supermarket for last. It's not even close. Don't even bother doing that. Where did and, and I, I, I do I do wholesale my eggs to a few grocery stores locally, uh, uh, Kimberton Whole Foods. If you've ever heard of them, they have a few local stores. Uh, we we wholesale our eggs to them when when we have an excess. Where does your, I mean, obviously you have it in your genetics with uh, dairy farming and all, but what was the, the, the hardest obstacles for you when you got into farming? I would say infrastructure. Um, everything that we have here at Hirschberger, I, we built. My business partner, Patrick, and I built with our own two hands. The, the chicken tractors that we raise our broiler chickens in. Our, our hoop houses that we constructed ourselves and designed ourselves. I mean, I haven't seen, I know there's other similars, you know, similar options out there, but 
you know, we came up with our own design that fit the fields that we have, the way that, you know, the fields are laid out and the, um, the changes in elevation that we have to deal with and, and so on. It's not a, our farm is not really flat. It's kind of on top of a ridge. So uh, the front fields next to the road are somewhat flat, but all the other fields kind of slope away. And uh, we had to kind of take that into account when building that infrastructure. Um, the chicken tractors that we built are 40 feet long and 15 feet wide, and you can fit up to 400 chickens in each one. And then wow. those chicken tractors move down the field one length of themselves every day. every day. So we drag I'm them with the tractor. With the tractor. Yep. They're open. Yep. They're open to the grass, right? The chickens walk inside. We drag it very slowly and the chickens just walk inside to the next spot. Oh. And one one day worth of rest where those chickens are for the entire day, they put down enough manure to fertilize that swath of ground for the entire year. So that's how we fertilize the entire field. That's another another one of the things we stand behind here at Hirschberger's. We don't buy inputs. We don't buy fertilizer. We don't buy pesticides. We don't buy herbicides. We don't put any of that down. We let the animals do the work for us. And the same yep. same with the pigs. We have a whole field dedicated to pigs, and the pigs do the same thing. They're divided into a, a long paddock. The pigs are in there. They root everything up. They tear the field completely up, and they spread their manure for us, right? And then we move them down to the next paddock down the field while the, the one they were just in rests, and we disc it with the tractor, and then we plant grass again in it. And then by the time they make it back to the top of that field, it's ready to go again. So we can run the pigs back in there, and then the cycle just keeps repeating itself. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm uh, for for those who are listening. Um, I'm over here nodding my head because that's that's innovative and you know conducive to to staying organic and to staying fresh. Um, now that being said, like, do you have that stamp of approval that goes along with um, FDA cer- certifications? Uh, so yes, we were certified organic for many years, uh, and unfortunately for me, the organic certification kind of lost its value to me. I feel like that certification, it's been commercialized, it's been, uh, I don't want to say abused, but every everybody's certified organic now, even the big, even the big industrial farms, right? And then uh, something that happened to me at my farm personally is, you know, I'm, so if you don't know how it works, so if you're going to be certified in Pennsylvania certified organic that is, you hire a third party. The government doesn't come out and certify you. So you hire a third party certifier. They come out and they certify your farm and then you can be certified organic, right? And that costs money. You have to pay for that. And it's a, it's a portion of your organic revenue. So if whatever organic products you sell, they then take a percentage of that at the end of the year. And after, you know, four or five years of being certified, all was going well. And then one year the certifier didn't come. Nobody came. But the bill came. So I thought that was weird. But I paid the bill and we continued on farming, just doing our thing. And then the next year, the same thing happened. No certifier came and the bill came. (laughs) And I started thinking, I'm like, well, why? What am I paying for here? If the certifier isn't even come to check my farm, are they checking the other farms around? Are they checking, you know, to see if anybody is actually certified or actually practicing? And then it kind of hit me that, you know, that that third party certifier is a business. They're just trying to make money. They don't care if you're certified or not. Mm. So after I realized that, I dropped the certification voluntarily. Uh, we didn't change any of our practices, of course. You know, we still operate the same exact way. I just don't display that certified organic stamp on my products. Gotcha. Um, now we have a few minutes left uh, on the show, but um, I, I, I had seen, I had asked Jean to ask you, but um, I suppose I should just ask you myself. Um, 
you had faced a couple of uh, storms that set you back. Have you been able to bounce back from the storms? Yes, al- almost. We are almost bounced back. Yes. Uh, so yeah, in the late summer, early fall, there were you know five to six weeks or so where it rained every Saturday. And we depend on farmers markets to generate the, the majority of our revenue for the farm. And, you know, let's say you know, we were down 80% over that, the course of six weeks, which, which is a lot of money, you know, a, a vast amount of revenue. And uh, when it came to the end of the year, we met with the accountant and he's like, guys, you're going to, you're losing $60,000 this year. Oh, wow. And we're like, whoa. And, you know, and we need about 60 to $100,000 to spin the farm up in the spring to buy all the animals, to buy all the feed, to, you know, rehab the chicken tractors, to fix stuff and so on. And I, I didn't know what we were going to do. I thought we were going to go out of business, to be honest. Mm. And then I talked about it on my Instagram, on Hershberger Heritage Farms Instagram. And that post went somewhat viral. I think like 80,000 plus people saw it. And then the orders from for BurgerBox, my home delivery service, just started rolling in. And I've been chasing my tail ever since. We've been getting orders day after day after day after day since then. So, yes, we've we've almost made back the lost revenue. Uh, we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going to happen in 2024 yet. Like we're off to a good start, obviously. Like we have, we have a long way to go. Uh, but yes, we did kind of recover from that loss, which, which is definitely a good thing. It is a good thing. Now, um, for our listeners out there, you know, for anybody that wants to get as excited about your burger box and, you know, or visit you guys in person, where can they find you online? Where can they find your address? What are your hours that you work? Yep. Uh, well, you can find us on Instagram, Hershberger Heritage Farm, just like spelled just like it sounds. Uh, the website is burgerbox.farm, B-E-R-G-E-R box.farm. And we have a farm store and we're open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, nine to six. And that's at our address listed on Google. You can easily Google the farm and, and see the address there. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs Neat. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Ew. Thanks, Gene. <laughs> All right. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs, and I am very happy to introduce all of you to JT who is the owner of Village Vine Wine Bar and Bistro in Swarthmore. JT, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, you definitely have quite the history. I believe, I I don't know if I've had you on before. I don't think I have, but I have had, um, I think, I believe somebody on from your, you know, his, your past history on the show, but you were the former owner of Roots you, uh, yeah. Cafe, and you co-own actually a bridal shop with your wife, which <laughs> yeah. is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a picture floating around of me in a wedding dress as a, Oh, I didn't come across that. Now I'm going oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> to have to go look like, for that. Oh, it's, it's there. Uh, yeah. And um, you're also starting up a Delco Dudes hot hot sauce um, as well line. Yeah. So anyway, 
being that you're you're clearly super lazy and not doing anything with your life. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I had a little bit of time around. I was like, you know what? Got to fill that time somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, you recently uh, purchased or took over ownership of the Village Vine Wine Bar and Bistro. It's a mouthful, but it's there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little... <laughs> It's a little heavy. It's a little heavy, but it's, it's <laughs> what was like, first off, congratulations. Thank you. Since it is somewhat new. Um, secondly, like what brought you to that location and how did you, how did that come onto your radar? Yeah. So I was actually looking to, um, so Dan and I owned Roots together for about five and a half years and, you know, Dan still my best friend, love him to death. It was completely amicable. Um, you know, and we we kind of just got to the point where it was like Roots is, you know, we've brought it as far as we can together. And I wanted to do something independently myself. And I was like, look, I think it's just kind of time that we we pull the trigger on this. So while that was finishing up, I was actually looking at two different um, spaces. One of them was in Westchester and it was called uh, Peter Clark Kitchen. And the other one was Village Vine in Swarthmore. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I originally just kind of didn't even consider Village Vine. You know, it's about a half an hour from, from you know, Roots. And it's actually where I grew up. I grew up in Drexel Hill. So it's, it's, it's completely in my old stomping grounds. Um, but for some reason, just in the back of my head, it was like, no, it's not really, you know, you know, when you looked at the when I looked at the original pictures, I was like, oh, it's a really cool spot. But I'm not really into um, the artwork as much as the previous owners were. So I was like, you know, it's, it's a cool spot, but I think I'm going to end up with the the location in Westchester. So we actually ended up being, um, you know, coming under an agreement with the, the spot in Westchester. And something in the back of my head was like, before you make this final decision, it's a big deal at least do your due diligence and go see the place, right? So one night I actually drove down and I reached out to Jill. I was like, hey, I'm just coming down to see the restaurant just to, you know, just before I make the final decision, because it was actually everything was like on a pretty heavy deadline, um, you know, with root sale finalizing, um, you know, the the space in Westchester, he wanted to be out in like two weeks. So it was like game time. We had to make a decision that night, basically. And I pull up into this like sleepy, beautiful little town that looks exactly like you would imagine a Christmas village looking uh, like. And it was like, holy crap, this this is like a prime location. And then I walk up to Village Vine and I you know, open this door and there's this just gorgeous little quaint restaurant that the two women that owned it did a great job with setting it up, especially, you know, they didn't have any restaurant experience. They've never worked in a restaurant. They never owned a restaurant. They never bartended. They never served. They never did anything. They were attorneys. They were attorneys. Right. So, I mean, this was like a passion project for them. So to, to be able to build it, you know, and, and do the kitchen layout the way they did was like pretty cool. And there was just something about it that as soon as I walked through the door, it was like, this is the spot. This is where, this is, this is what I want to do. One of the unique things about that area, too, I, you, you described the business right to a T. I, my daughters live there. I, I know the area quite well. But, you know, you had to come in, too, and hit the ground dead solid and running because Swarthmore yeah. is one of them extremely 
unforgiving areas. You are uh, not kidding. It is a, you know, it's, uh, they're very critical um, of anything. You came in as an outsider with a business that was established. So that was going to, you know, draw some looks, I'm sure, coming in. And you were able to, in a short amount of time, win them over. So, you know, what were some of the obstacles in the very beginning that you had to overcome? Well, I'll tell you what, I was absolutely terrified that uh, that everybody was going to hate my vision for Village Vine. So, you know, the the restaurant was was awesome and it had its own personality to it. You know, when I walked in, it was like, you can tell they seriously care about art. They seriously care about wine and they they care about community. And, you know, what I wanted to do was I had to make it mine. That was one of the most important things to me. This has to be a place that I can stand behind. I can put my name behind it. I, I like to think I have a pretty good reputation as a chef, as a, as a person. Um, so it was something that it was really important to me to put my own stamp on it. And to do that was going to require a p- pretty drastic change from what it was. Wow. You know, from like I said, if you look at pictures from the previous Village Vine, there were hundreds, if if not thousands of pieces of artwork on the walls that were just, you know, it filled up every single blank space that you could possibly find. And it was, it was cool. But to me, it was, it's always going to be about the food and the drinks, right? So I wanted to kind of tone down the decor a little bit and hyper-focus on the food, the drinks, the cocktail, the wine, um, and really make that the center of attention because when you would speak to most people about Village Vine, they would say, you know, it's almost like a restaurant, wine bar slash um, art museum. Yeah. And which is cool, you know, but for me, I don't know anything about art. I don't know what makes art super special. I can tell you, like, I have some artwork on the walls in my house. That it's, it's cool. I like it. I don't know who made it. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Um, but for me, the biggest fear that I had was when I did this change and and just painted and put a fresh face onto it that people like you said were just going to just totally revolt against me and say like you ruined this you know restaurant that we you know really liked for three years and you know what what did you do so my focus was always like no matter what put out good food put out good drinks you know, make the best food you can, make the best cocktails you can, have a great wine list that's all encompassing, you know, where the the wino can come in and find something really cool and unique. And then you can also come in and just have a really good Chardonnay if you wanted to. Um, and then obviously being a chef, the food was my immediate focus. Um, so and I was a little, you know, nervous that people didn't, you know, they weren't going to respond to the type of food that I like to make in you know, so the, the biggest obstacle was the decor and our, you know, is this community going to respond to the food that I like to make? Um, and luckily enough, I mean, when people walked in, they were like, we love it. So I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> that was opening day. We opened up. I think we closed, we closed for three days and my wife and I were in there every day and we had family come in and friends come in and everybody was painting. And it was like a mad dash at the end because I was like, no matter what, we are going to open on the Wednesday after the deal is closed. We have like, we just have to hit the ground running. We have to be strong. Um, you know, and, and one thing that 
Village Vine was was struggling with before was they had a very hard time finding a chef and a chef that could put out the food quickly, consistently, um, you know, even show up. You know, sometimes they've had they had their chef that just didn't show up on a Saturday night and they had to close the doors. You know, so it, I didn't want it to get that reputation, especially first first out of the gate that, you know, restaurant the, the restaurant's going to have inconsistent hours. Um, so that was that was like we're getting open no matter what. So like the last five minutes, we're like detailing every little you know thing we could possibly find and saying like, okay, is that it? Is that it? All right, light the candles, open the door, and people were starting to come in. So it was cool, but everybody really liked the uh, the decor. It is such a. I love how you describe it as kind of a little Christmas village for uh, people who have not been to Swarthmore. It is kind of a a sleepy little hamlet. Uh, off of you know some major busy highways in Delta <laughs> County, you know, but it's kind of tucked in between uh, a couple, but it's also you know a college town, a very prestigious college town. I mean, you know, Swarthmore College is you know one of the more elite colleges in the country and has a very active alumni and and you know there's a lot of community involvement and you know just a really wonderful little place, but. Exactly. When when you were opening that, I'm like, wow, anytime a business is open in that area, I'm like, ooh, you know, (laughs) hope they know what they're in store for because uh, (laughs) it's it's a unique place. It is. And everybody knows everybody. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) So tell us about your menu inspiration, uh, what you drew upon to create the current menu that you have, which is a seasonal menu. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna do four menu changes every every year, and then we'll always have some specials, especially when we get our hands on some really cool proteins, fish, uh, produce, anything along those lines. So you know, the menu is really driven to give people that like fine dining experience without all the um, you know the bells and whistles that come with it. You know, without the tweezers and 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 you know taking twenty minutes to to plate up the dish. And you know, my background is 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 innovation and and trying to make really solid dishes that are approachable. You know, so the the whole goal of Village Vine will always be you know, and I say this to everybody. I want Village Vine to be the restaurant you can come to on a Tuesday night and get a great burger, and you can come on a Saturday night and get a great filet mignon or you know pansier turbo so the you know the innovation it you know i i really want people to 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 know that the food is is the the highlight of village vine and i i like to think that i make what the food that i like to eat which you know i i'm not a picky person by any stretch of the imagination but everybody likes to be pampered they like to get things you know especially when you go out to a restaurant that you can't make at home you know if i can make something at home I, I have no need to go to a restaurant. Um, so, and anything you come and get at our restaurant, I like to think if, if, you know, you had the time, you might be able to, you know, to try making it, but it, you know, no matter what, it's still always going to be like, wow, that was, that was awesome. It's, it's funny that you say that because when I go to a restaurant, I will order based on, am I, will I be too lazy to make this at home or (laughs) like that's, that's literally how I like base my ordering. Like, um, and, and I always go after the specials first because it's not always available. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to tease myself, I'm going to tease myself with the special because, you know, yeah. Um, now, 
we had spoke briefly about this ahead, uh, prior to hopping on, but you know, your business actually was the in, uh, inaugural business in that town that took away the the dry town aspect. You know, you guys had the first yeah. liquor license in Swarthmore. So, being that being said, you had mentioned that you just started a whiskey program. Yeah. So Village Vine, um, you know, before was, you know, the it was the wine was always the passion of Jill and Lori. And you could tell. I mean, they had some incredible wines that, whew, man, out of the the 80 different bottles and labels that they had in the basement, I probably had heard of 10 of them. <laughs> um, you know, so it was like you can tell that was really what the focus was. Um and then what I wanted to do is actually talk to a lot of people in Swarthmore. So I probably, yeah, I don't want to say interviewed, but I spoke to, you know, a couple hundred people to say like, what do you want? You know, what, what's, what's village vine to you? What are you, what are you looking for? What, what didn't you like? What did you like? And, you know, I started kind of getting the idea that people wanted some, some more like specialty uh, cocktails and whiskey and bourbons came up in that in, the, in those conversations quite a bit. And I was like, man, how cool would it be to be not only a wine bar, but to have, you know, some really cool whiskeys and bourbons and scotch that, you know, you just can't get everywhere else. So we're slowly building that um, those options. Now we have about 15 different labels and eventually I want the whiskey and the wine to be the same amount. Um, so this way you'll be able to pick just as many from different, just as many different labels of the wine as, as you will whiskey. And yes. you know, we're going to try to get some really hard to get stuff and, and some things that just, you know, nobody can get their hands on. And, um, my, my main goal is to really try to bring in products and wines and whiskeys that people just cannot get. Yes. You hear that Gene? Well, you know, I, and I'm actually just thinking about how happy the alumni of the college are going to be when they come for events, too, because they all stay, you know, in the hotel there and, and right. things like that. But how happy they're going to be to have your location, because one thing I know, and I've done many events through for Swarthmore over the years, while it is a prestigious college, when Swarthmore throws a party, they throw a party. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Especially when they close down the street. Oh my God. Cause we have a, a wine expanded permit. So we're allowed to, um, with our liquor license to sell wine to go. So you could be walking down the street and be able to buy a glass of wine, uh, just right at our front door and just take it around with you. And I mean, people come out for those, for those events. I can imagine. It is like thousands of people just around. It's like, holy crap, where did everybody come from? <laughs> wow. Now, um, given that you're, were, you know, kind of exiting the uh, holiday season and in the last couple of minutes that we have you on for um, and entering into, you know, Galentine's and Valentine's, uh, do you have any events planned we do. So we're going to have a three course uh, menu um, for Valentine's Day. And then I'm actually working on something that I really want to be able to do on like a monthly basis, almost like a chef's table, where it's going to be the same day every single month. And it'll probably be something along the lines of the last Thursday of the month. 
It'll be, you know, a chef's signature dinner. It'll be a four course, high end, white tablecloth, the whole nine yards. So I'm, I'm working on, you know, those types of uh, events as well. And we just got launched with DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, even though, um, you know, a lot of our, our food is a little bit more, you know, fine dining. Um, a lot of it does travel really well, like our hot chicken sandwich and our burgers. And, you know, we do have, you know, sandwiches that are on the menu, like our short rib French dip is like, I can't, I can't make enough short rib to keep up with it. Um, you know, so those options will be available on DoorDash too. All right. Well, I look forward to that and I look forward to the chef's tasting menu because that sounds phenomenal. Um, But for our listeners out there that are interested in also visiting you, what where can they find you online and in person? Yeah, so Village Vine is at 6 Park Ave in Swarthmore. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram. Um, our website is www.villagevineswarthmore.com. We have a pretty good social media presence. My wife is, uh, is the one who is in charge of all social media because I am not that great with social media as, uh, you know, I like to cook. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) She does all the social media stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. No, thanks for having me. And um, we will be right back after this next break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very honored to introduce somebody who is making waves in the ice cream field. Um, uh, like, and something something that I absolutely have thought of, and I'm a little remiss that I didn't that I didn't go on to on scene because you are making such a big impact in the world with your franchises. But Melissa Tavas, who is the owner and founder of Tipsy Scoop, which is based in New York, welcome to Food Farms and chefs. Thanks for having me. I should have sent you some ice cream. Shoot. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I've, I've made ice cream from scratch, obviously not on your level. It's like the easy, the easy version of it, but, um, you have a family history of, of making ice cream. So I would in by leaps and bounds, I would be behind you, (laughs) but you know, what's your family history? Because you're, you're not the first to, to start a ice cream store of any some sort um, in your family, uh, but you are the first to add liquor to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So actually back in the 1800s, my family brought over gelato from Italy to Scotland, um, which, or sorry, yeah, Italy to Scotland, which was a very novel concept at the time. Um, so they brought over some of the first gelato cards and was always like fascinated by that family tradition of ice cream and gelato making. So I started making homemade ice cream, which I have to disagree. I think making homemade ice cream is very difficult, especially in a little Cuisinart ice cream maker. Um, so I was actually struggling with my homemade ice cream and decided to add a small amount of alcohol to soften the ice cream because some recipes call for that when your homemade ice cream is coming out kind of icy on the side. 
and not that ice cream consistency that we know and love. So um, that's kind of how I initially came up with the tipsy scoop idea, but was really just a a fun hobby in the beginning. Gotcha. Now, um, I mean, you must be proud of your history because I I looked you up and, you know, you're you're I think it was your great grandfather. Um, Not only did he continue to expand on it like you are right now, and I'll circle back to that, I swear. Um, But he also was the president of the Ice Cream Alliance in Great Britain, which I'm like, I'm sure (laughs) you have some of those recipes that like that kind of got passed down through the generations. You know what? I wish I had some recipes. Um, So my mother is very into genealogy and that's kind of how we found all this stuff out. She's either very into genealogy or very into having an excuse to have to go to Italy to research her family, (laughs) but either one. Um, So she says, oh, your great grandfather, great, great grandfather was president of the ice cream alliance in Great Britain. And I'm like, is that even a thing? Like, what does that mean? And um, of course, there's a picture to prove it and some great, you know, really old photos, black and white photos of uh, these really cool gelato carts as well. So there's proof. But unfortunately, we don't have the recipes. So that's so sad. But like, you know, (laughs) it's all right, because you are obviously, you know, making a name for your yourself. Um, you've been quoted or highlighted, I'll say, in Forbes. You've, you know, gr- gained the attention of the James Beard Foundation, which is a huge deal in the culinary world. Um, you know, you've been on TV, like, and, and people kind of amassed... <laughs> <laughs> your your concept because you started I think out with the same concept of a push cart almost in in you know pop up events and you've grown yourself from from that to a brick and mortar location to now you're franchising so I have to applaud you for your innovativeness and in in perseverance in this thank you you know it's funny because um, a lot of people are like that was my idea <laughs> and I'm like no I know it's a great idea. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, we have a cookbook now. Anybody can make boozy ice cream. I think the biggest hurdles for us were um, legal and figuring out, you know, how do we define this category of liquor infused food? Because that really hadn't been done before. I remember the first time we got into Whole Foods, I was so excited. And the buyer there calls me and is like, I need to take this off the shelf. I don't know how am I going to card people how are they going to know it's boozy, all that. So we were able to figure it out. So it scanned like a beer or wine, but there's definitely been a lot of ups and downs along the way with a completely new category of food. I can imagine. Um, and Gene, okay, so Gene, one of the things that he has a huge history about is he's a chef um, and he taught people how to create things, obviously, in the kitchen. And, you know, he's also a huge um, fan of a local, ice cream place and I'll just let him take it away. Because, oh, unless if he's he's on pause. Um, but he he loves Penn State ice cream um, and okay. he's learned, you know, different aspects of ice cream making from them. Orders that online and has it shipped to him, which I know you do as well. Um, and one of his favorite things is mint, like mint chocolate chip. So I actually like sidebarred to like, you know, p- you know, prompt him because he gets excited about 
about mint chocolate chip, you have a spiked mint chip. So that's so funny that he is so excited about it. So I will say that is one of our most polarizing flavors. Personally, um, mint and chocolate is not for me. It's one of the only flavors of our ice cream that I'm like, no, thank you. Um, hate mint and chocolate combined, but people love it. Um, if you do not have that, the one mint chocolate chip lover who comes in will <laughs> hate you forever. Um, but the spiked mint chip is an interesting flavor because it's spiked with creme de menthe. So as you know, creme de menthe is just a mint liqueur. Um, it is very subtle in alcohol taste, mm-hmm. though all the flavors are up to 5% alcohol by volume. So people are like, there's no alcohol in this. I can't taste it, but it's really in there. It sneaks up on you. Probably, um, yeah. So yep, yep. out of curiosity, because if, I feel like you sell them in pints, correct? Pints at the stores or the barlers. We do scoops. We do sundaes. We do flights, uh, which are probably the most popular option. I like to say that we um, invented flights because now I see all these flights on TikTok all day and I'm like, we were doing this in 2017. <laughs> um, but the flights are really popular. So kind of a take on what you'd get at a distillery or a brewery, but in this case, boozy ice cream and sorbet. So do you have a limitation? Like because they are boozy ice creams, um, do you have a limitation on how many uh, scoops that somebody can order? That's so funny. Um, <laughs> we don't actually, but one of the you know biggest questions we get is how much do you need to eat to feel tipsy? Um, that really depends on not only your drinking tolerance, but your ice cream tolerance. How much ice cream can you eat before you start to feel maybe a little sick? <laughs> it's um, easier to eat probably more of the sorbet, but you know, it is up to 5%. So once you have, you know, a couple scoops, you'll definitely start to feel it. But that's a good idea. Maybe we do need to put a, a max quantity that can be consumed in the stores. Yeah, only to, only because if it's, if it is that, like the, the ABV for them are that, you know, high, um, you would think like, okay, well, if somebody consumes X, Y, and Z amount of ice cream, like what are their, like, <laughs> what's their alcohol intake at this point? <laughs> but um, yeah, I do. And it's funny with boozy ice cream or sorbet, the, <laughs> the same rules of kind of like mixing alcohols don't seem to apply or people kind of <laughs> put those to the sideline um, and they're kind of, you know, trying a bunch of different flavors. So obviously. Um, yeah. Now I, okay. So you actually have several, several different flavors. Sorry. I keep walking away from my, uh, my mic or leaning away from my mic. You have several different flavors. One of which is, I mean, I don't know how you came up with this, but the oysters in champagne. <laughs> okay. So it is, it does not actually have oysters in it. I kind of wanted it to have oysters in it. Um, if you look back on the history of oyster ice cream, uh, it was one of the first recipes like ever. Um, lots of, you know, recipes that were kind of like savory desserts were coming out at the time, like tomato aspic and which is a tomato jello mold. Um, and that's oyster ice cream, which is basically like a frozen chowder, oyster chowder. So it was savory. Um, anyway, everybody from my production team was like, no way, we're not putting oysters in the ice cream. Like <laughs> my director of ops is allergic to shellfish. So he was like, are you trying to kill me? Um, so we couldn't do the oysters in the ice cream. So we decided to do a sorbet that pairs with oysters. 
juice, which was probably a better idea. So um, the sorbet is a lemon-based sorbet that's infused with champagne and then a pineapple mignonette. So it's a little bit savory with the mignonette, which is obviously made with shallots and vinegar and all that. Um, But it pairs really, really well with oysters. We had some really fun events where there was like live shucking and then scooping of the sorbet right on top of the oyster. So um, it works really well, similar to like a granita. Um, You get that like cold, cold, uh, you know, little scoop on top of the oyster and uh, really, really fun and kind of playful. We like to do something crazy around New Year's too. So, I mean, it sounds fun and it sounds like it would, like you said, (laughs) like the way that you would present it, um, it sounds like it would play very well, especially with the flavor profile that that's in contained in it. Um, But I'm going to go back to our, our, you know, constant, like I, I am a huge fan of bourbon. You have a vanilla bourbon ice cream. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, I have the tequila hot chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, the vanilla bean bourbon is probably the most popular pint flavor year round. Um, Vanilla bean bourbon. So it goes really well with any sort of dessert, pie, pastry, anything like that. Um, Really one of our classic flavors and one of our first flavors we came up with where you can really taste that bourbon flavor coming through and then really get an appreciation for just how our ice cream is made. It's um, milk, cream, sugar, ice cream, no eggs. Um, It's around 16% butterfat, which puts it in a premium ice cream category. Similar to Haagen-Dazs, you have that like rich custardy consistency. Um, And one thing that people say I never talk about enough is that the ice cream is actually really good and really like made with premium, um, you know, whole ingredients, um, which is something I don't not mean to talk about, but everybody wants to talk about, you know, um, the alcohol and the different uh, cocktails that uh, we're inspired by. So I do like the vanilla bean bourbon because I think it's a great representation of like, this is also just really good quality ice cream. So I'm I'm guessing because I don't have a sample um, of it. I'm guessing that. I know. Why didn't we do I- this? We should have thought this through. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Um, I, you know, I could always, in retrospect, I can always order a case because you ship nationwide. Let's mention that too. Yes, we'll have to send you some. <laughs> um, but I'm sure that when I crack open that pint, um, it's going to have those little speckles from the vanilla bean pods. Yep, which is, exactly. Yeah, which is proof in the, in the pudding, basically, of, you know, you are using the high-quality ingredients. Um, and I, so... Yep, you can't call it vanilla bean if there's not beans in there, so... <laughs> oh, that aspect I didn't know. And, like, I know yep. you said um, 16% butter fat. Now, I'm, I don't know... This is where Gene would help, <laughs> but I'm sure you know it. There's a percentage that you can go up to before they're like, no, you can't sell it anymore. Um, yeah, I, I believe that's like 18%. So um, for reference, like soft serve is around 10% butter fat. Um, so it's fairly low. Um, it's a lot of air. Um, and then like most ice creams, like hard ice creams sit around like 12 to 14. Um, and then when you want that like rich custardy consistency and not obviously you spend more money. 
um, for an ice cream that's around 16%. We also chose to do that because we want the alcohol as an addition um, infused into the ice cream. And we didn't want to um, jeopardize that like creamy ice cream consistency. So we wanted the balance of like holding an alcohol content with um, maintaining creamy ice creaminess. Yeah, because I I love a a good ice cream that's nice and creamy and rich and you bite it and you, well, you don't so much bite into it. You kind of like pull it off the spoon where it just kind of melts in your mouth and and you get that like, not to overuse the word, that creamy consistency that just kind of makes you go "Mm," and smile. (laughs) Um, Definitely. Yeah. So I want to um, mention again your, the fact that you ship nationwide because you are located uh, currently like your flagship is in New York and I know you've opened up a couple of other locations. Um, You are franchising. So um, not that I want to take over the the whole interview. So what was it like to to open it, open your business up to franchising and how has the reception been? And are we looking forward to some uh, ribbon cuttings? (laughs) Yeah, hopefully lots of ribbon cuttings coming soon. Um, We decided to franchise really after years of being asked, is this a franchise? How can I open my own tipsy scoop? Having even some of our wholesale accounts want to, you know, open a tipsy scoop as well. So um, it was really an opportunity that came to us. Initially, I associated franchising with like McDonald's and things that were really like traditional and not like cool. So I was like, this isn't a franchise. This is like this, you know, innovative, cool business that's new um, and exciting. Um, Another reason I decided to franchise is just from opening a store an hour from my other stores, I realized how difficult it was to open company-owned stores further away. Um, Just how different flavor preferences are even an hour away. Um, So really wanted to like lean on our customers to our experts in the areas that they live in and also are passionate about Tipsy Scoop and want to open their own Tipsy Scoop. So um, we have, I believe, six franchisees signed on so far and we have our first one opening in DC, hopefully in about a month from now. Um, so that is very exciting. And uh, we can't wait to see everybody else probably open all at the same time <laughs> this summer. So um, that will be a lot of fun. It'll be a busy season for you for sure. Yep. <laughs> so um, we're running a little bit low on time. So why don't yeah. we also plug the actual ability to to ship to, to your house? Yes. Yeah, so we work with Goldbelly. Um, Um, We've been working with them really since they started, too. Um, When I first sent them samples, I sent them samples in um, Tupperware, like um, Chinese takeout containers. And their founder, Joe, was like, Melissa, I love the ice cream, but you need to work on your packaging. So... Um, we've really been with them since our beginning and since their beginning. Um, if you don't know about Goldbelly, they ship everything from like tuna from Hawaii, really anything you could want. Um, but we ship nationwide with them, all 50 states. Uh, ice cream shipped overnight and dry ice. You can use promo code STAYTIPSY for 15% off. Uh, we do the ice cream pints. We have single serve packaging. We do ice cream cakes on there, which are really fun for a birthday. Um, so if you can't make it into one of the 
the parlors, uh, shipping. It's a, it's a really fun gift to get boozy ice cream for a gift. So. Yeah, well, I'm excited about it because I, as I said, it's an idea that I had had and I was like, ah, oh, but <laughs> you were the first, I think. So good. props to you for, you know, not only coming up with this um, idea, but making a successful business out of it and your franchises, your cookbook and, you know, your your association with Gold Belly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And uh, we welcome your flavor ideas. So, you know, we might have to name a flavor after you if you have a, a really good one. <laughs> oh, I, I come up with ideas. There was there used to be they unfortunately, you know, uh, had to close their shop down, but they have new owners. Um, but I used to give ideas to a local uh, ice cream shop all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. So <laughs> I'm sure they loved that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to come up with new ideas every every year. So yeah, they've def- yeah they've definitely used my ideas. So that you know, yay! But <laughs> <laughs> I'm I. That being said, I would love to like sit down and collaborate with you. Yes, yeah, for sure. All right. On that note. <laughs> Um, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having me. I really have to send you ice cream. I feel bad we were talking about it for half an hour without you having any. So. And no, no, you're fine. Um, but thank you so much for for joining us. And uh, I look forward to more of your franchise op- franchises opening. Yeah, for sure. And stay tuned every single week as we offer a brand new episode of Food Farms and Chefs. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN. HD2 or stream live from wwdbam.com.